Welcome to the Savage Sonia Show, the place where those serious and sometimes stigmatised conversations take place. Please support the podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify, as well as all major podcasting platforms. All of the sources will be linked in the description box down below and the links to some of the guests that I bring on to the podcast will also be in the description box. Thank you for coming on to the show. Would you like to introduce yourself and what you do? Yes, uh, my name is Paula. I'm Brazilian, but right now I live in the U.S. in Portland, Oregon. I work as a therapist now, and I've been doing that for a couple of years. But for more than 20 years, 20-something years, I worked as a journalist in my country in Brazil. And the reason why I changed my career was after the death of my father by suicide. So Mm -hmm. after he died, I decided to dedicate my life to preventing suicide. And one of the things I did was, you know, go back to school uh, and start a new career. And and that's what I do now. I did a five-year training in psychoanalysis, and I finished a year ago my master's in in clinical mental health. And that's what I do now. And I, uh, I have my podcast. I have a website. I have a published book on suicide prevention. And that, in a way, has become my life mission now. I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. Uh, how, how old were you when your dad committed suicide? And how did you find out about it? Um, I was 38 years old. Um, right now, I'm 53. I always get my age wrong. And unlike most women, I always go up. I don't go down. (laughs) The other day, I was telling my sister. I I I was with my sister, and someone we started talking about age. And I gave, I said my age, and she looked at me and said, "You're not that old. You're one year younger." (laughs) I said, "Oh, okay." (laughs) So I was 38 when it happened, and as it usually is with families who lose someone to suicide. I really, I, it never crossed my mind that my dad would do that, really. It was a surprise for all of us. Uh, we, never, we never thought that that could happen to us in our family. And the way, actually, the day before he did that, my sister called me. I was on vacation here in the U.S. I was in Miami at the time, just enjoying vacation. And she called me on a Sunday mm-hmm. night, and she was crying. And she told me, I think there is something wrong with dad. I don't know what, because he had come to visit her. And he just stayed around for hours and hours and hours. And she she said that she could just tell that there was something wrong. She couldn't, she couldn't, you can't pinpoint and and it never crosses our mind, right? Well, who thinks about suicide? Nobody does. You think, well, they're going through, you know, difficult time or, 
maybe something happened, but it, it really doesn't cross your mind. But she knew that there was something off. So she called me yeah. on that Sunday night and I said, well, don't worry if, you know, if there's something wrong, I'll talk to him. You know, I used to, he was going through a lot of problems at the time, financial problems, a new relationship, a lot of responsibilities. And I said, don't worry, because I, I was coming back that week, actually, on Thursday of, of the following week. And yeah. I said, don't worry, when I get there, I'll be there in a few couple of days and I'll talk to him and I'll see what happens but uh, that was really actually now looking back and knowing the signs and everything we know that he actually had visited my sister to say goodbye so um, the next day I woke up with her again calling me um, and crying and saying that he had taken his life so I didn't we didn't have time so in the moment, how how did it make you feel? Were you shocked by the news? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. You know, uh, as in now as a therapist, I know what trauma does to the brain and uh, yeah. how it affects memory. So mm-hmm. I have very few memory of what happened next. It's so weird. I had to, I actually, a few years ago, I talked to a friend of mine who came because she, and I told her what had happened and and she flew in from, I think she was in, I don't know if she was in North Carolina somewhere. She flew in to visit me and just to be supportive. And all I remember is my sister calling me, telling me what happened. And then after that, it's all a blur. Because I remember being in shock and I remember that I didn't cry right away because when you're in shock, you just don't because you're still taking in, right, all that information. And I remember my friend showing up and I, the one memory I have is that when I saw her, I think that that was the first moment that I felt safe to express my yeah. emotions and I started crying. I only yeah. cried when I, when my friend hugged me. That's that's the only memory I have of those days because all the rest is a fog. I of course I had to you know get a new ticket and and fly to Brazil, but in Brazil the law says that you can't really. It's very different here in the U.S. They have wakes and they have all these ceremonies and celebrations after someone uh, someone dies. You celebrate their life and. Uh, the body can actually be present for days. In Brazil, you can't do that. You have to bury, I think they give you like 24 hours or something. So by the time I got to Brazil, I arrived in Brazil, my dad had already been buried. But, you know, it's another example of how your brain can trick you and it really messes up your memory for so many years, Sonia. I believe that I had been to his funeral. How weird is that? Yeah. I she, didn't remember. I didn't know. I, I kept, I, and one day I started asking people, did I come to his funeral? Because I, I didn't remember. That's that's what shock does to you. And yeah. I finally, and here's the, the weird thing too. I, I asked my sisters. They didn't remember either. Yeah. I had, I asked my mom. She didn't remember. I asked my aunt and she didn't remember. On one, actually one of my sisters was the one who said, no, you, you, you couldn't, you didn't have time. You didn't have, have enough time. And you only arrived one day later. So it just shows how collectively, how trauma affects your memory. And it was, it's really foggy. Those days are really foggy to me. Yeah. I, I think that happens um, just in very, 
um, intense circumstances. But why do you feel suicide is um, still stigmatized? Like we can't talk about it and things like that. Well, there are so many layers to that question, but I'll just give you, uh, I've been, you know, I've been doing this work since 2006. So it's been a while. And I've been for all these year, years, I've been talking to families who lost suicide, uh, someone to suicide, family members, friends, those who are at risk for suicide, people who attempted suicide. And the thing that I think there, there are many answers to that, but one of them, and I, maybe it's the one that underline, underlies everything else is fear. Yeah. Suicide goes against our most you know, basic instinct, which is self-preservation. We are afraid. We don't talk about death, even though we know that that's the only certainty we have in life, right? Is that all of us are going to die. And it's still, it's a stigma too. We don't talk about it because we're afraid of it. So I think suicide provokes fear. And it's mm -hmm. not just fear that it's going, it may happen to someone you love, but it's basically, maybe most importantly, fear that it may happen to you. Because the reality is, even though we want to deny that suicide is an option, it is. It always is for all of us. And it's, it's scary. And it also, we don't know what to say. That's the only, that's the, the other thing too. When someone dies by suicide, if there, if there is any other kind of death, people know what to ask. They know how to support you. They know, kind of know what to say, what to do. But when it's suicide, nobody does. What do you say to someone who, who lost a loved one to suicide? And there is also, Sonia, so much blaming around yeah. suicide grief. People always search for answers. And the way, one of the ways that we search for answers is who is to blame? Because you can't blame mm -hmm. the one who died. And you, you search for, you search for, you know, guilty parties. You, you blame the husband who wasn't there. You blame the mother and the father who didn't notice, who didn't see the signs. And that's one, one of the reasons why suicide grief is so difficult because you are surrounded by shame. You're surrounded by blaming. You're surrounded by silence and by fear. So I think that's one of, these are just some of the reasons why suicide is so stigmatized and there is all, also religion religion yeah. condemns all of them say suicide is a sin you know they have different language for that they have different places that they call it where supposedly these people go to so if you're very religious that's a that's a no subject too so yeah. uh and, and of course prejudice and 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 judgment there's so much judgment around suicide you want, because again, you want to blame someone. And sometimes it is the person who died you blame, yeah. especially if you're close. And you hear that many times from, from parents. They say, how could you do this to our kids, right? Yeah. Or, or the kid who is left behind, who says, you know, how could you do that to me? So there, is, there are just so many layers. And, and that's what makes suicide grief so peculiar and so hard, so, so hard to go through. Um, who, who 
is most affected by suicide? Youngsters or older people or you can't predict, like you can't have a definite? Well, it's a, that's a hard one to answer. We know by looking at the numbers, but I have to make a caveat about the numbers too. By looking at the numbers, we know that the, the age group that dies by suicide most often are people over 75 years old for many, many reasons. But the youth, for example, just to give you an overall number, youth today is the second leading cause of death in youth. Oh, and wow. it's growing immensely. In some places, like here in Oregon, I just heard this new statistics that it's, it's already the first leading cause of death, depending on the age group. But, but we're talking about youth. Usually the, the World Health Organization I think the number, the age group that they have for, for the second leading cause of death is from 19 or for, from 14 to 24, something like that. So, so youth in general. So, uh, but at the same time, suicide is so underreported. So when I talk about numbers, I usually, I'm usually very careful with that because we know because of the prejudice, because there are no systems in place in many countries to actually uh, count suicide. Mm-hmm. We know that it's underreported. So, but uh, if you want to look at numbers that are reliable, the UK does a good job where you are. They, these are numbers I look at. Australia, United States, they, they do a very good job with that. And, and it's so important to do because that's how you can actually, it's by, by having numbers and statistics that you can put together um, prevention um, actions and plans in, pla- in place. But uh, it depends. It depends on where you are. It depends. It's the same with gender. Uh, it depends on where you are. You have to look at the numbers in your country and some, sometimes even in your region or your city. But overall, mm-hmm. it's over 75. That's the age group that's, that has the highest risk. Wow. So how, how do we unstigmatize the kind of stigma around suicide? By doing what you're bravely doing. We talk about <laughs> it. We bring it to the table. We don't put it, you know, don't shove it under the rug as if it didn't, ha- it didn't exist. Because that's, you know, silence makes it grow. Yeah. Suicide needs to be faced. It, we yeah. need to talk about, but we need to talk about it. And <clears throat> when I say this, I spent many, many years in Brazil training media, the media, because I was a journalist. I worked for for newspapers and TV stations and all of that. And and I, I made, um, it became a mission to me to train the media because it, it used to be a big problem and it still is. Because what the media does usually is to silence about it. The way to, to um, fight suicide for the media is let's not talk about it because they're afraid of contagion. And I'm not saying contagion doesn't happen. It does, especially with youth, because you know how it is when we're young, we, we do what our peers do and uh, we follow their path, right? Mm-hmm. But if you do... If you, if you cover suicide and if you talk about it in, in an in a appropriate way, you can really help with prevention. So silence doesn't help. And when we do talk about it, first of all, 
we have to try, especially if you're talking to someone who is at risk for suicide, you have to put your judgments aside. No judgment. Yeah. There is no right and wrong because that's that's where we go first, right? We want to stop yeah. them from doing what they're thinking about doing, and you want to say, "Don't do that because that's wrong." It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense, and it's not going to help them because they're not in their prefrontal lobe. They're not in their rational mind. They're taken over by emotions. So that's yeah. where you have to go. You have to sit in with their emotions. Ask, I have, a, I have a mentor that I really, I mention him all the time. He was the, the father, we call him the father of suicidology, the first clinician to talk about suicide openly and to study it and to dedicate his life. His name was Edwin Schneidman. He died a few years ago. And I was fortunate enough to interview him before he died. But he says two things. He says that there are only two questions you ask a suicidal person. One is, where does it hurt? And the second one is, how can I help? So if you keep that in mind, you will be able to help. It's not about judgment. It's not about shaming them and saying, this is what's going to happen to your kids. They know that. And here's yeah. the thing about suicide and the suicidal mind. They believe they are a burden to their loved yeah. ones. They think yeah. and they deeply believe that it's going to be a relief, that the world will be better off without them. So if you tell them, oh, you're going to make people suffer, that's not going to mean a thing because they believe that they feel the opposite. So it's yeah. not about shaming. It's not about blaming. It's about holding their hands sitting in with their pain and trying to help, trying to help them find solutions to whatever is happening or trying to, to help them find treatment if they need because it can be related to mental illness. So I think that's the basics of, of how you can really approach this population. Yeah. Um, do you feel the feeling of wanting to attempt suicide varies across genders and why do you feel that could be the case yes it does what the numbers shows show us is that men and we have to be very careful because when you look at the numbers worldwide and this is everywhere what you see is that men die by suicide approximately it varies in countries but three to four times more often than women but that's a very misleading number because if you look at the number of attempts, women attempt three to four times more than men. And the reason why men die more often is because they, they use more lethal means. They usually use a gun. So women will take pills and then they go to the hospital and they don't die. So it's very misleading to believe that this is a, a gender issue because it affects both women and men. Uh, it's just a different approach and, and men die more just because they use more lethal mean, means, but it affects both. Okay. Um, how do you feel the pandemic and COVID has affected people who are suicidal and what kind of advice would you give to obviously the listeners listening in? Mm hmm. I we still don't have the numbers, but I would be surprised if it, if the number of suicides didn't go up. Uh, we still don't know, 
But what we have seen during the pandemic, and I experienced this in my practice, and I see all my friends and everyone that I know, even the people I interview on my podcast, they talk about this. So everyone is packed with clients. We're all fully booked. Yeah. So, yeah, because the mental mental health has really deteriorated during COVID for sure. And I, I often think about people who are suicidal and who already struggled before the pandemic. And now they face what, you know, one of the worst things to humans and the scariest thing, which is isolation. Because actually our brains, they, they, the brain interprets isolation and the feeling of loneliness as a threat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, we've all, we're still going through this. It's still not, not over. We have now a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccination going, starting in some places. But we know that there's still kind of a, a few months ahead of us. with this situation so we know that mental health has deteriorated so it's hard to believe that that will not affect negatively the number of suicides but what i know the second part of your question which is i mean what would you say to people who are listening focus on connection everything is important right now having your job money is important having a comfortable home is important but nothing is more important than having a support system around you make an effort to connect to check in with your friends to check in with your family members you know write it down prioritize it like we do with work when we have deadlines that we write it down we set alarms set alarm to talk to people to feel yeah. that you're not alone, because I think that is the number one danger for mental health right now is feeling that you are alone. You know, the guy that I just mentioned to you, Dr. Edwin Schneidman, he also said this. He said that to suicidal people, half of the problem is the pain they're feeling. The other half is feeling that they're alone with it. Yeah. That's so a very that's, beautiful well, thing. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. He's, he was such a special person. And, and, and that's what it is, feeling that you are alone, that you don't have someone to share your pain with. Yeah. Ampl- amplifies your pain. So get your phone, your tablet, whatever you use for communication, and dial in and talk to, talk to people. Don't be alone because we are all feeling isolated right now, but you don't, it doesn't mean you have to feel alone. Yeah. Um, What would you like to say to your dad if he were alive today? Hmm, That's a good question. I think I would say you have other options, dad. And I wish I could have helped you and I wish I, I had known how bad it was. But at the same time, I want you to know that we don't blame you. We understand where you were in your pain and we were never, and I can talk not just for me, but for my sister, from my sister's point of view too, because we talk about this very often. We never blamed you and we were never angry at you. We know that your mind was not, you know, working properly. You didn't see a way out and you did what you believed was the only way. But I just, 
I just wish I had had the chance to convince you, convince you otherwise. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, so I have some final questions to wrap up the podcast, and it's not related to do like to what we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So the first question is: What's the title of the current chapter of your life? So if you had to, you know, like try to write a book, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like pretend your life is like a book, and right now, what would be the the name of the chapter? Wow, that's a good question. How how many hours do I have to think? <laughs> you know what? This can go on forever, so it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Okay. The new chapter right now, I think, would be healing others. No. Yeah, healing others through my. Mm, let me see. Something like okay, healing, healing others from what I learned. I think that would be it, because this is you know my dad's uh, death is what brought me here. I changed my life completely, and now that's what I do. I try to, I try to give people options and bring hope to the table, and that's what I do with all my material my website and my my book and my podcast my youtube channel is to bring a message of hope not only to those who are at risk for suicide but those who lost loved ones to suicide too because they also feel very lonely yeah and i've already checked your website it's really good um so, so the second question is what inspires you the most What inspires me the most is to see change in my patients. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get discouraged, and I'm sure many therapists who are listening to this uh, will relate to what I say. Um, Sometimes you finish your day and say, I don't think I helped anybody today. I don't think anything I did today made a difference. But then there comes another day, and you hear something like I heard today, actually, a, a patient sent me a text message saying I just I just had a panic attack and I I re, I came back to regulation much faster than I used to it was much quicker my panic attack and I think it's the fact that I have you to talk to in a few days so I wanted to thank you wow. uh, that's what that's what inspires me that that's really beautiful um so the third question, which is the final question, is um, how can people uh, reach out to those feeling suicidal during the pandemic? How can they reach out? Oh, reach me, you mean? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you can send me a text. You can send me a message through my website www.understandsuicide.com it's easy and also through my podcast same thing you go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and you search for understand suicide and you can also send me a voice message message through that my Mm -hmm. youtube channel you can leave a comment same thing understand suicide And uh, on my website, you can find my book too. And my book has a lot of stories, a lot of people I interviewed. It has chapters on grief. It talks about 
you know, most of the things you need to know about suicide, like warning signs, risk factors, what to do, what to avoid. Yeah. Um, uh, grief, how to help someone who is going through this kind of grief. So you, you and you can find a link to my book on my website because you can find it on Amazon. All right, then. Um, thank you for coming uh, onto the show. Thank you. Thank you for being brave enough to, to talk about this. I'm Savage Sonia, and you've been listening to The Savage Sonia Show. Please like the segment on Instagram. If you liked the podcast episode, please tag me on Instagram at SavageSonia underscore and on Twitter at SavageSonia1. Finally, if you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Until then, why be average when you can be savage? Thank you for listening.